Hi, and welcome to Your Owen Podcast, podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network and quick and handy tips for veterinarians on the go. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, Owen Coordinator. Today we're joined again by Dr. Adroni Verbruge, board certified veterinary nutritionist and research chair from the Ontario Veterinary College. We're going to be talking about considerations for raw and homemade food diets from a nutrition perspective. If you haven't checked out part one of this series, make sure you circle back and scroll down on your feed to take a look um, at the first part of this series. Also make sure that you check out our podcast with Dr. Scott Weiss, talking about considerations for raw food diet from an infectious disease perspective. Thanks so much for joining us, Adroni. And our, where would, um, so if you were a veterinarian or if you were an owner looking to work with your veterinarian um, about where to get um, where to get these diets, maybe if you have a commercial diet or you have a homemade diet that you've been working with for a while, mm-hmm. where would you look to get those things tested? Um, so testing can be done by uh, several labs. Um, AFCO has a website where there's a list of laboratories that are certified by AFCO to test pet food. Okay. So not just, you can send homemade diets there, but they yeah. also test kibble and canned food. Okay, um, there's a couple of, I think there's two or three labs here in Ontario that are um, AFCO um, accredited. I think one of them is uh, Maxim Analytics, for example. Okay, yes. Uh, but there's other labs, like here in Guelph, we have SGS Labs, um, which um, is a lab that does analysis more for um, animal feeds. Okay. Um, but there's, of course, some of the testing is similar for this. Um, so depending on what kind of analysis that you want, they may be able to do it or you may have to reach out to another to other labs that um, have more um, specialized testing. Um, these uh, lab tests are... Um, Depending on what you want, the expenses can be pretty high. Okay. Um, if you want a proximate analysis, which includes macronutrients like um, moisture, uh, protein, fats, uh, fiber, ash, and then they calculate uh, carbohydrates by difference, um, that's like, let's say, $60. Okay. Um, so... At least you get something with that, but then usually the problems don't lay in the macronutrients. It's, it's really in okay. the micronutrients, so the vitamins and the minerals. And if you start testing for specific minerals, it's still is not that expensive. But if you look at vitamins, mm-hmm. if you want to test every single essential vitamin in the diet, um, you get um, like if you want to test every essential amino acids and every essential fatty acids in the diet, you quickly get to a, a quote of $10,000 for, for just one analysis. Right, my goodness. Um, yeah. Yes. So it's it's very expensive to really get that. To uh, get a full depth analysis. Full what depth analysis. The... If I would have to, like with patients that come in here that we expect uh, unbalanced diets, um, I think what we focus on a lot is calcium, phosphorus, and vitamin D. Okay. Uh, because those um, tend to be um, deficiencies that animals, dogs and cats are most vulnerable to. Um, so especially when it's a puppy that is growing, Mm -hmm. those would be things that go wrong quickly. So you would see a calcium deficiency, um, excess phosphorus, like the calcium to phosphorus ratio would would be reversed. Um, and then, uh, vitamin D deficiency is something that we we see quite often with this kind of diets. Okay. So that was my next question, yeah. was that, which you probably guessed, which was, what's the most common thing? So yeah. thanks very much yeah, for answering that. Uh, and and there, there's definitely other things that can occur 
as well but i think that's one of the those are the big things the big things um uh yeah i've seen a dog with rubber jaw uh where because of the calcium and deficiency and vitamin d deficiency the his jaw like the maxilla and mandibula the the jaw bones were completely demineralized um so you could just crush his his jaw like there was no bone anymore Hmm. um his teeth were loose and there was like so much swell like so much swallowing um that his teeth were like let's say one to two centimeters apart from each other wow um yeah of course the dog couldn't chew anything anymore he at the time that we that he came into the hospital um he had difficulty walking as well he was really lethargic um on x-rays his long bones were demineralized as well and how how long had he been on Um, that that dog was seven years old and he had been on a homemade incomplete homemade diet since he was a puppy oh wow so it's sometimes people are like, well, I, they, they always look at immediate problems and they see, yes. well, my dog is healthy. Like he's currently on a homemade diet and that's the same raw and cooked homemade diets. Yes. Um, he's currently doing great. Like he's, he looks healthy. He's playing. Um, but then they don't think about the repercussions that may have later in life. Um, eventually we switched this dog to a complete unbalanced diet and we were able to at least like the dog was able to um, to chew his food again. He could actually carry a stick in his mouth. Um, we were, he still like we could feel his jaws again. So to some some degree, that mineralization came back. Um, but I don't think the dog could ever fully recover. Like the swallowings were still there, and the teeth were still far away from each other. Um, so the same with a um, we saw a six month old puppy, uh, a reason schnauzer. Um, that was um, paralyzed um, on MRI we noticed that there were three um, fractures, spontaneous fractures in his vertebrae um, and that was also due to calcium deficiency, vitamin D deficiency um, we switched the dog to a complete unbalanced puppy food um, the dog is still like we actually with, with this owner we discussed euthanasia, uh, but he was willing to go for it completely. We switched the dog from a, with, to a different diet, and six months later, um, the dog is still walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has that hunched over posture, so yeah. he he does look a bit weird when he's walking around. Uh, but he can still have a comfortable a comfortable so life. Um, they but, can recover, but yeah. the, the degree of recovery, depending on how bad the situation yeah. is, they may not fully recover. Yeah, I guess it. the big takeaway from those cases that mm. you just shared are really that the that the issues take a long time to develop. Yeah. So you might not be seeing yep. it within six yeah. months. So yes. the and it may not happen immediately, yes. but um, but they can be fairly yeah. severe. Yeah, um, especially when um, you have adult animals, it will take a long time before you actually see problems. Mm-hmm. Um, puppies um, are much more vulnerable. Uh, so there you, the problems will occur quicker. If there is a problem in puppies with uh, calcium, phosphorus, vitamin D, you will see it much quicker than, than before they reach adult stage. Okay. 
So really another takeaway for me for me is if you are interested in if you are a breeder or if you're a person that's looking to feed a homemade diet mm-hmm. for sure it, particularly with juvenile animals or breeding uh, breeding animals to make sure that those particular minerals yeah. are balanced mm-hmm. and that your macronutrients are at least balanced yes. at a minimum yeah um, or to work with a nutritionist yeah. to try to yes. make sure that you have the yeah. correct balance and I think one of the things that people are often trying to do is when they um, are making homemade diets, Um, They add lots of fruits and vegetables and they think that that will cover for the vitamins and minerals in the diet. Um, But really the requirements in dogs are higher than than in humans for many of these minerals and vitamins. So it's really, you would have to give a massive amount of fruits and vegetables to a dog uh, in order to keep up with those requirements. So really adding synthetic supplements, uh, really like a powder of a vitamin mineral supplement is the best way. And probably the most economic way and the easiest way uh, right. to do it. Um, but in so, a controlled amount, because you obviously yes, want to over-supplement, yes, yes. or you want to make sure um, you're putting in the correct amount for yes. the size of body. So when um, a veterinary nutritionist formulates that recipe, he will that person will really allow for a specific amount of vitamins and minerals, and that will be, like, you will have, you, they would have to uh, measure every ingredient and the vitamin and mineral supplement with the gram scale to make sure that every, That's correct. Um, everything is measured correctly. So are there any um, kind of multivitamins or top dresses that you can get for, yeah. for homemade so, diets? So um, for homemade diets, uh, the two that we work with here at OVC are um, Balance It. Uh, so Balance It is a company in California. They have a board-certified veterinary nutritionist working with the company. Um, they sell uh, vitamin mineral supplements for dogs and cats to balance homemade diets. Um, they also have ac- access for veterinarians as well as pet owners can access a database of recipes oh. that are complete and balanced. Um, and then another uh, resource that we use here uh, as well is um, Hillary's Blend. Okay. Um, so Hillary's Blend is... Um, Produced by a company owned by uh, Hillary Watson. Uh, she has a bachelor's in animal biology. Um, she has published books that are called Complete and Balanced. So her supplement works with the recipes in her book. Oh, okay, that's um, so also her recipes are um, meeting AFCO and NRC requirements. Um, so when you're working with animals that are either that are adults, um, I would definitely go with one. That would be, definitely be an option to go with one of those recipes. Even for for puppies, um, I would do it as well. I'm just a bit more skeptical about raw diets and homemade diets in general for puppies um, and kittens, uh, especially because it's such a vulnerable life stage. If something goes wrong, if that diet, if even you may go with a with a diet that is formulated even by a veterinary nutritionist. But pet owners tend to deviate from the recipe, and if mistakes happen, mm-hmm. it's much more dramatic for those animals than for adult animals. Right. Um, not only deviation from the recipe, but also if there's um, differences. Like when we formulate these uh, recipes, we using the USDA database or the Canadian Nutrient File to look at the um, nutrients in human foods. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is based on averages. So there, especially for vitamins and minerals. There, there may be deviations from what we found in a database um, as well. So ideally for puppies, if a pet owner really wants to continue um, with feeding a, 
uh, homemade diet or a raw diet uh, to a puppy, I would really recommend to at least balance, for, uh, at least analyze the diet for calcium and phosphorus. And also follow-up should be more frequent than with adult animals because you have to change the recipe according to the growth stage okay. of the animal as well. So it's it's more complicated. Right. It's um, a more so that's why consuming. I wouldn't just recommend go to a database and pick a recipe because much more follow-up um, is for needed for, for those particular Yeah, with stages. Scott, we talked a little bit about, Scott had mentioned talking about, you know, discussing about uh, risk within the household when you're yes. talking about a raw diet. Yes. So, you know, is there somebody who's immunocompromised? Is there, yeah. is there access to someone who's living yeah. in an old age home? Or is there someone in the hospital? Or yeah. is there, are there young children around? And so what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, you'd also have to assess the dog's risk. Yeah, yeah. So is the dog at risk for imbalance? Um, yeah. If they're in a young life stage, what about old animals or animals that have um, diseases? Yeah, and then when when there's um, definitely with animals that have specific diseases, um, they would need a recipe that is designed for that specific disease because then we're not really talking about just um, general nutrient requirements anymore. We're talking about specific requirements to treat the disease, mm-hmm. like thinking about excuse me, renal disease, for example, um, or um, liver disease, those diseases require very specific um, things in the diet uh, or may or may not be in the diet. Uh, So a veterinary nutritionist would be able to formulate a homemade diet recipe um, so that it matches the requirements for those uh, diseases. And there's um, not a lot of uh, places where you can find those um, diets online. Like Balance It would be one source that I trust, even if it is for diseased animals. Mm-hmm. But in that case, the website is only available for veterinarians. Okay, so, that's so actually great pet owners know. would have to go through their their, um, their family veterinarian okay. to, to actually find that. So the other part that we wanted to chat to you about was um, was about the difference between raw and cooked um, mm-hmm. for homemade. Yep. So assuming that um, you have raw and you have cooked um, and they're formulated properly, mm-hmm. is there any what's the is there a value in doing raw versus cooked? Is there any value at this currently? point in time? I don't think we really have an answer to that question. Um, it is very hard to do research evaluating the exactly same thing. Um, because looking at what we use, the ingredients that we use in the pet food industry are different than what we use in our homemade diets or commercial uh, or raw diets. Um, If you really want a diet um, to formulate a diet using the ingredients that you would be using for a raw diet, but then make that into a can or make that into a kibble, it simply won't work because though you require um, certain types of ingredients to make like to make the dough, dough stick together. That's yeah. really what it what it is. Um, so comparing those, there will always be differences in nutrients or in ingredients. Right. Um, so that when you're comparing that, the differences that you see is that really because of the difference in processing, yeah. or is it because there's differences in the composition? Okay. Uh, so that's very hard to do. And so far, there's not really any research that has looked into the difference like between the benefit yeah, sure. in cooking process. Also between homemade and mm-hmm. raw, feeding the sa- using the same ingredient that has not really been, been done. Um, also, uh, like one of the things that we all as nutritionists, we were always kind of skeptical about is digestibility. We always thought that cooking improved digestibility. Mm-hmm. Like it does um, in humans. Yeah. 
and these um, other animals. And so we do definitely know that all our the pet foods that are available, the canned food, the dry food, also homemade cooked, like the bioavailability and the digestibility is very high. And we were worried with raw food that wouldn't be the case. However, there have been a couple of studies now looking at the digestibility of raw food. They couldn't compare it yeah. to other foods, but they simply looked at the digestibility of raw food. And it seems to be as high okay. as what we find in other studies for these other types of diets. So that's something we don't worry as much about anymore. Okay. Um, at least the digestibility should be okay. Um, but otherwise, we don't really know much about differences between the two or if those are benefits or if it's adverse effects. I think at this point in time, it's not that we don't believe there's any it's not that we don't really believe in the benefits, it's that we are afraid of the risks. Right. So um, we are afraid that those diets are not complete and balanced. We are afraid of the uh, health risks related to public health, mm -hmm. um, also health risks for the animal uh, when it comes to bacterial contaminations. Yeah, so we talked a little bit uh, with Scott about some of the pathogens that can... Yeah. Um, <laughs> That can be part of that as raw, you know, with raw meat um, and raw food and handling that type of thing. Um, so, have you seen any cases of, of that uh, of that type of issue? Um, I, we've actually, I haven't seen a, the case myself, but through the primary healthcare center of Smith Lane Animal Hospital here at the university, um, there was one um, breeding dog, a female breeding dog. Uh, that was being fed raw and I can't remember how many um, puppies she had uh, but two of the puppies died from bloody diarrhea mm -hmm. um, the uh, the mom was fed raw raw food while she was nursing the puppies um, all the puppies had in the litter had diarrhea two of them died and the, the other ones were treated in time mm -hmm. uh, and were still okay that breeder kind of complained that the puppies they were behind in growth and wouldn't be able to sell the puppies at mm -hmm. the normal price that they would sell okay. the puppies um but that i think that is for me the, one of the most striking situations that i uh, that i have seen where yeah a puppy litter was affected because right because i think usually what raw. um what some of the proponents of raw food say is that it's uh, that but dogs can handle those bacterial yeah, loads yeah, and they can handle yeah, yeah, those type of bacteria. Yeah. Um, but I guess we're, you know, in an adult dog perhaps, but in a, but in a, yeah. And dog. I think like, uh, especially when like we, we are afraid of people with immunosuppression. Mm -hmm. I think we have to be afraid of animals with immunosuppression as well. And there we're looking at, um, young animals, old animals, but also when they have specific diseases that mm -hmm. require immunosuppressive treatment, like we're, you know, at OVC, we're treating so many dogs with cancer that are on chemotherapy. Those dogs should definitely not be eating raw right. themselves as well because they're at risk uh, for those sure. bacterial infections. Sure. Um, Just the same so. as we probably wouldn't want them to eat a dead squirrel outside mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> or other, other kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Um, not to say that the not to say that the diets that are that are prepared at home yes. would be as dirty as a squirrel, but, <laughs> a squirrel, but. <laughs> yeah. But there's like or the even if we purchase our, our meat in a grocery store or at a butcher shop, meat is never sterile. Yes. Um, that's why we cook it for ourselves. Yes. Um, so that's why we should be cooking it for our dogs and cats as well. And I always try. Like I know some people really like to do it homemade, mm -hmm. and, and then I'd rather have them cook the, still do a homemade diet uh, but I think it's much safer cooking it mm -hmm. uh, than feeding it uh, feeding it raw but of course in the end it's 
personal choice. Yeah, it's personal choice. Yeah, we talked a little bit with Scott about um, about doing some like taking it through a freeze cycle or doing yep. opting for irradiated food yep. or doing um, yep. a high pressure um, a high pressure process yep. um, so that they so that the food could um, so it would reduce the bacterial count uh, yep. if possible in the in the meat. Yeah, so I know those those are things that are currently also under investigation. See, I like I don't have anything against raw food as long as people can do it complete and balanced. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be much better if we could find a way to actually reduce the bacterial count in the in the future. Thank you for joining us, Adroni. Um, also, make sure you check out our podcast with Dr. Scott Weiss talking about considerations for raw food diets from an infectious disease perspective, as well as part one of this podcast series with Dr. Verbruge. Have a great day.